get to know ya Hey, na, 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 na Delve into emotion Leave us in this moment Welcome to Horizons Podcast, and we're doing our Getting to Know You with John Wilson. Hello, John. How are well, you? Hello. <laughs> Long time, no talk. I know. <laughs> it feels weird being on the other side of my, so to speak. I usually wear the ones interviewing <laughs> Being in the hot seat for once. Yes, exactly. So I thought we um, would start these interviews basically about a simple getting to know you. So who are you? What do you do for a living? Or what do you do in respect for? More importantly, what do you want the people out there to know about you? Um, who, what I do for a living is sales and marketing. So not a big, not a like a big oh, <laughs> you know. Uh, I've been doing that for years now. I would say probably twenty something years of my life. Um, but my joy is definitely doing things like this, doing the podcast that never would have imagined. You know, how many moons ago? Five, six years ago, um, that I'd be doing something like this because I've always loved art. So for me. I love writing. I love just being in arts and I love, you know, at one point I was doing production and, and um, being a part of that, but anything to do with art and writing and is a joy for me. So my job is sales and marketing, but my joy is definitely um, doing things like this and playing video games. I love playing video games. That's how actually how Keith and I met a long time ago playing Friday the 13th. Little did we know as we're trying to run from Jason, getting, trying to survive, getting killed by Jason that, um, it would form a friendship that, you know, he would, he would offer this opportunity to me to be a part of the podcast, which has been such a joy in my life. Um, yeah. Yeah. I imagine that must've been quite weird coming off of, you know, four or five hours of Jason running after you. And I was like, can we have a conversation? <laughs> I know. Well, he was, you know, he had even said, he goes, you have this idea and you know, you, you, I mean, he had talked at that point, you had to literate and say, and you say everything that you were doing at the time and, and uh, working on scripts and working on books and reading reviews and like doing all this. And I was like, how the hell are you going to have time to do this? But I was like, sure, count me on, you know, count me on for this. And, it's been such an amazing um, experience, you know, and trying to be a part of the craziness of all these podcasts and these conversations, which I don't think most of the viewers know how much work that actually goes into this. And in the beginning, it was rough, which we both can say, like in the beginning, yeah. it was like Planet of the Apes were like so by the book and everything. And as time went on, we just learned that we had to have fun with the conversations and enjoy each other's conversations. So I think it took us into probably like the third or fourth episode where we started yeah. finding the rhythm and sort of thing and then we yeah, figured yeah, I out think the like wrong, way, of the the wrong way to do an interview <laughs> <laughs> i know and i think it's like it's funny because like um i think it was silence of the lambs where we just kind of were like oh let's just have fun with this and and go with it and yeah the interviews the interviews were always like interesting because 
we as similar to this or as a structure to them, but you you do it ultimately just have to flow with the person. And sometimes they don't flow and sometimes they do flow. <laughs> well, I think I think what I learned, um, because you, you had a different experience than I did, but when I did um Lawrence Time and Jackson, Shirley Jackson's um son. Yeah. And he goes, Can I have the questions beforehand? And so I gave him the questions beforehand. So when we did that, when we were going through our interview, I was reading the questions and he was reading his answer. So it was just like this really odd interview. My see, mine was I gave him an advance too, but I felt like it was a reluctant answer, right? And so, you know, by the time I finished the interview, it was like a little frustrating, but you know, you kind of make do with what you have, right? And I remember getting sending that to you and you just kind of yours did didn't that. even want to be there. It's like, what does happen? I like, think you I think like it was Christmas, wasn't it? What, yeah, it was cr- it was a Christmas story and I can't remember what his what his attachment to that was, but I remember he had no attachment to that. He had an attachment to Second City Comedy Clubs. He wrote That's a right. That. Yes. Yeah. And and that was a part of the nuance of the story because the story is written more as a comedy and, and like it's it's different it's different from the actual movie, which um where the characters giving snippets of his life and, and it's very comedic. So we talked about that, but the moment when we went into like talking about other things, it kind of always got pulled in. Well, this is what I do and this one. And I'm like, great now, but can we talk about the content? Right. And it kind of kept yeah, yeah. being pulled back the other direction. So it's like it's always an like, experience, you know. I remember because they were just trying to get get him to do like a Christmas, just to bring in a little bit of a Christmas story about his Christmases, just so we could tie it into. The yeah, well, I think it was like, <laughs> what was the, what was the most memorable gift, right? I think it was something like that. What was the most memorable gift? And he was like, I don't know, I don't really. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, you could have just said anything. You could have said, you know, know, a toy train or you know. <laughs> But you know, Rose brought the sled. I mean, it was good enough for Susan King. I'm sure it's good enough for you. <laughs> exactly. Make it up. Precisely. <laughs> this is kind of like, you know, work with me here. Yeah. You know, but it's, you it's always like your book, but we need to actually promote it so it actually fits in the confines of our yeah. And you learn, you know, what it's interesting is you learn every single step of the way we've learned to evolve and go with the flow of people. And I think it, that was my first interview. And so I was a bit nervous because it was like, wow, I'm going to, you know, this is going to be something that's been on our site and I want to do it right. And I want to do it, you know, and eventually you don't, you realize it's not about doing it right. It's actually having fun with what you're discussing and, you know, trying to nuance, you know, the question sometimes, because now I think what I've learned from that is, okay, knowing that question wasn't answered the way I wanted it to, I could throw something in that pulls that interviewer to, to say something else or respond to something else, you know? Always fine. A good compliment gives you a lot more content. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's also like, you know, sometimes it, it's uh, breaking their nerves too. They're just as nervous as you. And so they never ever forget that as well. Like when I, when someone com- comes to our show and they're, you know, the, for example, when we did um, Anna and the Apocalypse, I think they were all such great, but I think sometimes everyone's nervous. So we were using icebreakers in the beginning to kind of loosen people up and get people to start talking about their characters or whatever. Right. And so we, we've learned, you know, from that point, you're going to, you know, loosen the ice a bit. <laughs> yeah. Basically you just have your bullet points. cover, And then everything else doesn't yeah. matter. Just as long as you keep the conversation afloat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, Basically, um, of course, we are in the millennia, you know, 20, 
where are we 2021? And of course, everyone has a social media website presence. So how would you, if people wanted to keep in touch with you, how would they re- reach you? Which would you prefer? Um, you know, it's funny. I am on social. I am on Facebook, you know, John Wilson, um, on, on uh, Instagram, John Wilson 76. I'm trying to actually create my own sort of channel or website, if you will, and kind of put my own content because we've talked about this before. I do write and I have written a lot of things. I haven't published anything. And I think I just want to get my toes a little wet by creating my own website. So eventually, you know, you can follow me there on Instagram at John Wilson 76, or you can follow me on um, Facebook at John Wilson. Um, but, you know, eventually on there, you'll notice something probably popping up. I'm thinking about Wilson J because there's so many John Wilsons in the world. There's a ridiculous amount of John Wilsons in the world. So I'm trying to come up with something that's unique that people can find me and, and read, you know, and a lot of them are going to be like life experience, but also just stuff that I've written and stuff that I'm working with, co-working with too. Because as I was telling Keith as well, I definitely want to start to work with other people and work on their projects. There's a that is passionate project for me as well, is to be able to help people kind of get their own things produced or get their own things written and, you know, help people get their, their legs, you know, standing. Now, we deal with a lot of different genres. What's your favorite genre? Um, obviously for me, as I, we explore everything we explore, most of it is horror sci-fi. If I can get a combo of the two, that's amazing because I do, I've always even, you know, listening to other podcasts or watching films or reading content. I've always been gravitated towards the sci-fi, you know, um, strange from another planets, you know, I definitely feel like as a kid, like these types of things influence me and how I view things is always like the what if, you know, it's, you can watch a drama or comedy. It's kind of formaic. So in some ways you get to the point where you watch a romance, you know, and you're like, oh, you know, what's going to happen. This person's going to do that. That's going to do that. That's going to, it's, so it's all predictable and I don't like predictability. So when I watch something like Midsummer, which we reviewed like that, it, it's, it's shocking, but at the same time, it's not, it's hard to predict. And I love things like that, um, that just always keep me on my toes. Um, so I love, that's why I love our podcast so much. Cause we do review a lot of that. Every once in a while we'll do like musicals and things like that. Um, but I typically am drawn to horror and sci-fi. Yeah. And what is your favorite film? Oh, this is such an impossible, when you, when I saw this question, I was like, this is such an impossible, possible answer because I love film. I love, um, you know, all aspects of film like noir and, you know, and different areas of, we were literally just this past weekend, we are talking about, um, we were talking about um, Madeline Kahn and just the movie she was in and I, you know, Clue and, you know, uh, what are Blazing Saddles? We were talking about all these different films, and it's it's so hard because you go, oh, well, this this influenced me, right? So as a kid watching um, uh, Friday the Thirteenth for the first time as a teenager, like that was my first horror, I think. Film. No, actually, I take that back. Nightmare on Elm Street was my first horror. Um, but you're always influenced by different films, so it's hard to just go this is my favorite. It's like trying to pick your favorite child, which I know people do, <laughs> but it's, it's literally so hard because, you know, my, which I'll talk about a little bit later, like, you know, my mom and I have experiences with films and my friends have experiences with films. You and I, Keith, have experience because of what we do. 
Um, and it, I think that's an amazing thing about films and storytelling is that you just get pulled into films and I get the, the joy of being able to talk about them all the time. So I can't pick a favorite. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I did scapegoat. I picked four. I got four favorite films that my four go-to films. So, and none of them are horror. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> that is strange. Yeah. I mean, I could say if I if I would say that the ones that I repeat, I definitely say I love watching, um, which most people don't know, Foul Play. So I remember as a kid, my mom I and dad. I love Foul Play. Billy Hahn and Chevy Chase. So good. It's like a murder mystery, comedy, dramedy. It's really funny. And most people don't know it because it was like Goldie Hahn in her what? 20s? 20s? Yeah. I just know that I want to drive on that highway and listen to Barry Manilow sing Ready to Take a Chance Again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even Beware of the Dwarf. Like, there's just, I mean, it's so good. Um, so that was definitely. We're just Meredith as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, penguin. I always remember because the penguin's in that. And so that one I, I tend to put on replay. So, and even my friends are like, oh, we've never seen it. I said, okay, well, that's one we we're putting on our list of, of we have to see this. Like, this, you know. Thank you. Oh, actually, thank you for reminding me that. That's actually when I have to go out and buy. Actually, I love that film. I watched that. That was on HBO in the early days. And I was staying with my dad and I was watching that on repeat. Every time yeah. I came home, I watched that. God, I forgot about that film. Foul yeah. play. And I don't like Chevy Chase, but I like him in that. <laughs> yeah, I, no, and I love the chemistry that they have in it too. It's really, I mean, it's just a great, great film and then just the cast of characters and, and that are in it that you just you can't help but laugh and the suspense by it you know it's really fun it's a fun film maybe in season six we'll do a san francisco comedy night where we'll do foul play and what's up doc oh my god i love what's up docs that's another one that's a great one too yeah uh, brilliant. so um what is your earliest film memory um, so in line with what I was talking about with my mom, um, Leave Her to Heaven. So that film, um, God, I had to be probably maybe 11 or 12. It, it, you know, it did two things for me when I watched this film. It was one that was like, my, my mom would not watch the typical black and white films. Like she would watch like dark, mysterious, like, you know, films. And it was like, you know, for instance, with that one, it is a story about a woman who, you know, frames her sister for her murder. And it, I just remember watching it going, what am I watching? And I was like, so intrigued by this because most typical black and white was, you know, Breakfast at Tiffany's or, you know, like those types of films. My mom was like all about Eve and, and um, uh, whatever happened to baby Jane. And like some of those films, like she loved the, the macabre, you know, and the second thing I would say is like, it wasn't about the happily ever after, which I think most films always, everyone had a happy ending. So that film, it kind of has a happy ending, but it, it just went, as you watch it, you go, wow, it's really messed up. Like from, and as a kid, you're, you're, you know, I was used to, you know, films where everyone gets their, their joy at the end. And this was not that like, it kind of is like a mess, really messed up ending. And it was, it just affected me that way. It, it was just like one of those films that was like, wow, not everything has to be happy ending. And I like that. And I like that, you know, we don't have to have everything wrapped up in a nice little package, you know. Do you ever notice that with films that do not have that happy ending are the ones that pretty much stay ingrained in your subconscious forevermore? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, for instance, um, what's, what is, um, 
now it's blinking on me where the, the woman becomes an addict and she's on a game show. Um, oh, um, Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, like that movie was one that just got like burned into my brain. And same with Blue Valentine. Oh my God. It, it, that is the most depressing film. I walked out going, I think I need to go watch something or I need to pet a puppy because this is just, it was like, just leaves you in a pit, you know? Well, it's even like those two films, the, the, you know, what I call the De- um, Betty Davis double bill, whatever happened to Baby Jane and Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Yes. I mean, they, yes. Don't, they don't have yeah. good endings at all. I mean, the other, yeah. you know, her sister's dying and her last words is like, I oh, mean, we could have been friends. It's like, you yeah. know, bum, 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 and bum, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, she's this tormented woman and she gets carted off at the end. And it's just like, you know, and none of it was her fault. It's all, you know, bitch, living to have it on fault. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So think, but you're left like watching this film going, oh my God. It's like, you know, but those, you know, those kind of films stay with me as well. So, yeah. I mean, if you think about when we watch like Midsummer and things like that, I think those were not like, wow, so happy that, you know, it's perspective, right? And you, you get to kind of see a different perspective of what it would be if, you know, someone kind of finds their joy in an occult and then, or, you know, you know, like the, the fact that this whole family gets eradicated by a bigger force than them, you know, when it, when it comes to, uh, what was the other one? Not Midsummer, but um, um, Hereditary. Hereditary, you know, like that was another one that you just are left a little bit dark inside. You're like, wow. You know, what did I just watch? But you'll never forget it. You'll never forget the scenes and how it played out, you know, those types of stories. But then again, I guess with horror, is there, a, is there really ever a happy ending with horror? Ever? You think about it? I mean, if you talk about, like, the ones with the final girls, because those are typical, right? Like, you know someone's going to survive, and it's usually the one that's a little bit smarter than everyone else, a little bit more cautious than everyone else. But, like, yeah, for the most part, most horrors, as soon as it ends, it followed up by a scene where the killer's still alive, still persevering, they're going to come back for you, you know, so you you survive for now, right? And so there's that, you know. But even if the final girl survives and the killer is dead, her life's never going to be the same, is it? Oh yeah, no, never. Be haunted for the rest of her life, and and always like always looking over your shoulder, right? Because you know, mm-hmm. and we're never even probably investing in friendships because most of them got murdered, you know. And you're <laughs> like, <laughs> how do you survive that? You know, those types. I'm of never going to have sex or do drugs ever again. <laughs> 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or they just become a nun. <laughs> the, like yeah. the next film, they're nun. They're like, screw it. Well, you know, finding a relationship's hard when you're normal. I mean, you know, I don't if you're a basket case, it must be even worse for the person. I know. Oh my god. So, what is your favorite book or author? Uh, you know this. I think I've talked about this. I love Stephen King. I do love him. Like he, he definitely influenced me wanting to write. Um, the the book, The Talisman, was sort of I think something I read when I was eleven or twelve. Um. I just love like the story of a young boy going on this journey and flipping between worlds. So it's a a mix of horror and sci-fi in that aspect that Jack is trying to save his mother who's dying, but then he's also flipping between worlds where the other version of his mother is a queen and she's being, you know, you know, basically her throne is trying to be taken from her by his uncle. So it's a very interesting story and, I just remember going, wow, I like opened my mind to other worlds. And, um, you know, Stephen King just after that, just a lot of the books carry and 
um, Pet Cemetery and Misery and The Shining, all of these books like just influenced me a lot and how I kind of viewed horror, you know, because horror, it, it's very like people think about horror, like my dad would probably never watch a horror film, but I, there's such another layer of nuance to horror that people just don't see. And it's, you know, often the family dynamic, it's the relationships of, you know, that, that people deal with hardships, whether it's divorce or it's drugs or it's addiction or it's, you know, abusive father, like those types of things. Like it's, it's um, something that's always weaved throughout his books and the complex relationships sort of take stage over the horror sometimes. And I love that because you kind of, you know, the shiny is a perfect example of that, how he's trying to be the best father he can, but he's, he's always in the back of him is always has this addiction coming at him. And eventually that the overlook preys on that and it preys on, you know, that, that addiction and, um, yeah, so I love Stephen King. He's fantastic. Speaking of the Talisman, did you actually read Black House, the sequel to it as well? I actually have the audiobook, which I I think I the first probably two or three chapters I started to listen to, and I actually have to go back to it because my friend was saying you should definitely you know read or listen to that because he said it was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I try to get into it. I think um, I love Talisman, but I think because there's such a huge break between the two books. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to read the Talisman and read Black House again, sort of thing. I think that's what I need to do because I, I, um, the one thing I would say, like the difference between most of his books is this is co authored and it's a little bit at the beginning of the, of the Black House and exposition of the land and the space that you're in. And mm-hmm. sometimes that, I am turned off by it. Just tell me where I'm at. Like, I don't need to know every nuance, every house, every block, every, and it, the fir- you know, this, like the first few chapters is all this little town and this bar and this, and then this person. And, and you're trying to figure out like, why do I need to know all this? And, and it eventually you get into a little bit as to why, because you're trying to understand the dynamics of the town, but that can be a little bit off putting. And so I feel like I do need to go back. I think that's the Peter Strub side of it because we're yeah. going to be covering Ghost Story this season. Okay. And of course, we're covering The Dead Zone um, next week, actually. We're doing Dead Zone, the book and the film. But, but so it's going to be quite interesting because what you just said, I think that must be the Peter Strub. Because I remember starting trying to read Ghost Story and I haven't, I haven't actually read the book. I'm going to, you know, I'll be reading it for in two months' time. But I know that whenever I started it, there was these long passages of, time and place yeah and gave me a lot of information so i'm kind of wondering if that must be and now now they just finished the dark zone and um stephen king's very very precise with his stephen king is always reminds me of your grandfather on a, on a rocking chair on the porch and he's going to tell you a story and he goes yeah. into this story sort of thing yeah. and it's all about characterizations and it's all about the way they talk to each other but it's very very little about the place and the way the place is set out. We don't get a long passages like this yeah. is the house and sitting on the middle, you know, and all the grass yeah. and what all that kind of stuff. And the first one, it works but, because you are going, you're going East coast to West coast. So it is important. And then you're flipping between worlds, right? So it is important to understand where things sit because when, when Jack does travel in minutes, it's hours. I think if I remember the, the way it works. So it's important for you to like imagine going on a road trip, you can kind of scale in how long it's going to take him to get all the way to the West coast by when he flips over. 
But in this, it's more, it's exposition as to why the town is the way it is. And it's around um, a serial killer who's killing people, but it gets, it gets a little bit too much into that in the beginning. And it was a little off putting because by the time you actually get to dialogue, you're kind of like, what was all that for? Like, what, why did I need to know all this? You know, like the Cubs won and you're like, okay, why? Like what, the, <laughs> you know, like you get a little bit like, why, you know? Um, but I definitely think, um, yeah, see, King only uses it if it's necessary. Meaning, mm-hmm. overlook. You give a you give a very detailed review of it because the overlook is an actual character, right? And so you have to build out the immensity and the gravity of it's like sinking well. And he does a fantastic job with that. Christine is a car, but it is a character, right? So unless it's like a place is a character, then you're going to kind of do that. Um, yeah, because imagine I, if he did that with the stand. Oh my God, you would shoot yourself. Because uh-huh. you, like the stand is a lot of this character. Then here they're here and then that. But imagine each time going back to the character and describing everything, where the character's at, why they're there. Like you know, and it's like okay, but now you're giving the street looks like this, this building looks like that, and you're like okay, that I would shoot myself. You know. Yeah. See, I think that after spending a whole year watching, um, reading, doing the classic novels that I'll probably be ready for Ghost Story now because I've learned to go through a lot of pointless narrative. <laughs> or description, right? Narrative is one thing, but like description and just, it's like describe, describe, describe. And it's funny going through writing classes and there are some professors that wanted me to do that. And there are other professors like less is more, right? So you, you know, don't, don't, uh, what is it? Don't, tell me show me right it's that sort of mentality of you don't need to give the sweeping views unless there's a reason for that right like let's just stay focused on the character that the imagine the camera's moving in on those characters they don't need to see the whole purview of the land they just need to focus there other char- other writers would say different right no i need to know what shore they're on where they're standing what time of day is it what the, what is the water or what does the ocean feel like you know what it, how cold is it and you're like what the why do i fucking <laughs> you know and you get a little bit like frustrated but that's how you're taught sometimes too so I, I also give a little bit of room for that because it is sort of that's the style and some people love that some people want to know exactly what that scene looks and feels like so they can be in that scene. I don't need as much. I'm, I'm pretty much, you could say one thing, you know, like one of his stories starts off with is a diary entry where it is a short story about a man who kills his wife. And it's, it's very, you know, anyone who reads this, this day, this day, I killed my wife. That to me, it was like, I don't even know what the farm looks like. I don't need to know what anything else looks like. That is like, you got me, you pulled me in, you know? What I know about, you know, over descriptiveness, I did do Moby Dick this time where we had 120 pages of what it means to whale, <laughs> what yeah. whaling is, what kind of ship it is, what kind of harpoon, well, well, you know, how many centimeters the point is. Yeah. yeah, I think it's also a different style of writing for that time, right? Because we've read a few books that were like that, too. I'm trying to remember one, one of the other ones we read that was similar. Turning the Screw. Turning the screw is like that. Yeah. Yeah. Turning the screw is because you're again, trying to paint a picture of the landscape of what this property is and where everyone is. And it was like a lot of, okay, can we just get, can we get to where they're at right now and you know, what's going on and why this is happening, you know? Well, I think you could do, I think like before the advent of television and documentaries in the world that we're living in now, I can understand why you would need that because you need to 
people weren't familiar with what was going on beyond their own village. But yeah. I think nowadays, I think everyone's pretty much aware. I mean, I could sit there and go, you know, you know, say something like, jo- you know, Johannesburg, you know, um, South Africa. And I probably don't need to go into a lot of detail now because yeah. most people already have an idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or back in, back in the day, it makes a lot more sense because, you know, you didn't know. You know, you yeah. had no idea. So you need this long descriptive. Well, text. and it's also like creating a symbol, um, it's creating a semblance of social dynamics too. So if you have like, for instance, someone in their home, they have all these trinkets, right? And there's all these things. And the more you create the, the you paint the cam- canvas of opulence, right? So you now know this is a very well-to-do family. Whereas now you could say, oh, this family lives in the Hamptons. You, that enough, you're like, okay, you know, opulence, right? Or you, And you could even say geographically, East Hamptons, West Hamptons, right? And you would know, okay, you know what type of, how, what their stature is in their living. But back then you would have to create how poor someone was or how rich someone was because that was part of the dynamics of the story too. The, the young pauper falls for the prince. Right. And then, so you have to show the level of the dynamics, you know, totally agree. So we're season five is coming on to us very, very quickly. What episode are you looking more forward to? I'm actually looking forward to the entire season because, you know, as you, you know, Keith always gives us the lineup of everything. Um, I'm definitely going to be the part of the two for ones. It's I've seen some of these films. I haven't seen a lot of these films. I'm actually looking forward to dipping my toes into, you know, the eighties horror completely because I think I was more nineties current horror. And like, as I was going through a list, like, scanners night of the demons the fog the uninvited like all those i've seen but there's a lot of them i have not seen so i am ex- i get excited for that because you could re-review something and it might even change your perception of when you first viewed it and we've talked about that before how much you love a film and then sometimes when you watch it now you're like oh it seems a little hokey now you know when you first watch it you're like oh this is amazing so a lot of these are going to be my first watch so i can't wait to kind of like i said expand myself on on some of these films that we that I haven't seen, you know. Um, the only one I'm dreading is Videodrome. So. Videodrome. Who picked that? You? Um, yeah, I did. I mean, I put the 80s list together sort of thing. It was very difficult to do the 80s list because we got some stuff that we're planning for doing it with the podcast as far as like franchises and episodes around, around those and seasons, you know, later seasons. So I had to find stuff that was not part of franchises whatsoever and because of david cronenberg doing dead zone i figured well we might as well cover two cronenberg films so oh, I so I i've seen right? videodrome but it, it disturbs me it makes me feel ill and queasy and disturbs me so oh great yay yeah, yeah. No, well i'll put this on my list of record for a dream like i probably will never watch that film again for that same reason it just made me like disturbed it just hit me the wrong way Um, I'm interested to see how it affects me because when I saw it at the movie theater I felt sick I just you know I just couldn't I couldn't bear to watch it again but I thought well let's put it on the list force myself to watch it and see how I feel from from a 20 from a teenager looking at it now as a middle-aged adult (laughs) (laughs) well I mean also I think now because we've seen so many other things that I forget what film we watched that I think normally if I would have saw it that it maybe is toxic and just the way that the effects of, you know, I'm not much for gore. 
I just don't like gore that much. I'm not a gore person by any means, but after have seen some other films like Saw and like these torture porn, like, you know, Hostel and all this, like after that, you become a little desensitized to things. So when you watch, go back to watch them that you thought was so graphic and gruesome, you're like, oh, that wasn't that bad. <laughs> you're like, oh, that's good now. You're good, you know? Yeah. I mean, imagine, you know, also when you're watching stuff for the podcast, as you know, is that you kind of watch it it's kind of it's it's different than just watching a film. You're kind of watching it, and you're actually studying it at the same time. So you start because you know you're going to be talking about it. It's kind of odd. Yeah. Um. So what do you like about podcasting now that you've been doing it going into your fifth year? Uh, you know, it's funny. In the beginning, I was so nervous because it was about trying to do it right and like going back to Planet of the Apes. I was so nervous because I just didn't want to sound like a complete idiot. And I think what I love about the podcast is our spontaneity and how we are, though we have a formula and we always have a run of show, if you will, we hardly ever, I mean, we don't now at this point, we don't really follow it. I know you do because Keith has to, because of timing perspective has to look at, Oh yeah, I hit all the marks or where we put, you know, certain things inside the podcast that he has to later edit on. But I love that we kind of, flow off of each other and it is the level of when we talk about certain things our perceptions right how we perceive things versus how you know how i perceive versus you versus vicky or whoever right we it gives me a new view that i wouldn't have thought about right and so there are times when we discuss things i'm like oh and i'll go back and after the podcast and i'll I'll ponder on that a little bit and like maybe rewatch something and go, I did not see that, or I did not. So I love that aspect of it. And I love that we're able to kind of share that with our audience because, um, because um, it's, it just allows us to kind of have fun with it. Right. And that's the point of all this is really just to kind of get people to kind of see different perspectives on a film and get people to be interested in films and, and, watching you know this is a couple of two things that i love which is literature and film and you know those there's a lot of people out there that you know like one or the other or both right and um yeah it, it definitely is um we we sometimes go sideways in the conversation but we always come back to where we we need to be because we just we end up that's how fun we end up having you know mm-hmm. and do you have a favorite quote or saying um for the longest longest time i used to always live by um live laugh or love you know it was just something my mom would always say like when things get tough things get hard ultimately it's just you know just going out having fun living life enjoying life loving the things that you're you know you love and you don't have to just love one thing you can love many things um but lately it's been oddly and interesting similarly entwined with the the word love is it was on WandaVision, um, but what is grief but love enduring? And I, I just think that's such an amazing thing. Uh, this last year and a half has been very difficult for a lot of people, and, and people, a lot of people have suffered loss. But knowing that and knowing that grief is just love enduring is such a beautiful thing. And I actually said that to my dad, my papa, when I went to go see him, that you know the love that you feel towards your wife is no longer with you. It's just love enduring. You know, and that's, that's a very powerful thing when you think about it. And do you have any special message for our fans about anything that's changed your life? Um, you know, it wasn't, I don't think I really received many messages. I think the one time Vicky had mentioned 
someone saying they missed me. And that was like, it was an amazing thing to feel that someone he- a, hears me or knows, you know, I'm a part of this. And B, it was like, it was really hard because I think in the first two seasons, I was always very present as much as I possibly could be. And then one point, you know, season three, I had to like talk to Keith and say, you know, I have some personal things going on and with my family and I have, you know, just life choices that I had to make. And I had to kind of take a step back and, and reevaluate the time I was putting into things because it was very difficult with work and trying to always be present here and not in other aspects of my life. And it was difficult, but it was also lovely to hear that people miss me, you know, and like, that was, it was nice to hear that, you know, from a fan and, I always try to be present and as Keith knows, like it's, um, it is a juggle. And I tell everyone have balance in your life. I don't know how Keith does half the things he does because he is always juggling 15 balls up in the air. Like he's literally just tossing and going, going, going. Um, But always try to have balance in your life. Always try to give yourself the space that you need in order to function and function at a point where you love what you do. And that's what I wanted to make sure that was you know, important for me was I didn't want to walk away completely from this because I do love doing this. I just had to take a little bit of a sidestep a bit to give myself some of that time to do other things that were important to me. So, you know, again, yeah, it's creating balance, finding balance and, you know, thanking the listeners for being here and for showing up and to, please give us more feedback. Please give us more um, comments on what you want to hear, what, you know, what, what works and what doesn't for you, but, you know, definitely we love hearing from you. And when your time has passed on this blue marble that we're spinning around on, um, what do you want to best be remembered for? Oh, we're all going to die together tomorrow. The, the, there's a big asteroid that's coming out from outer space. It's just going to blow us. <laughs> um, I'm going to my arms open, ready to catch it. <laughs> I know, exactly. I, I remember a professor of mine would say, if the world was ever ending, this is a sci-fi class, if the world was ever ending, I'd give me a bottle of whiskey and a woman, and anyone who had seen whatever they're going to see on that street, you can either stay or go. <laughs> I just laughed, at him, but it was like, you know, he... So what I would say is um, I would want people to remember, you know, that we all get forgotten at at a point in time, you know, that, that ultimately as we pass, you know, graves stay there and, and, and generations go after generations and we do get forgotten. And that is just a part of life. Right. So it is important to live now, to live, live as you are now, break down the walls that you build up for yourself and enjoy what you do. Um, this podcast has been a gift. Um, never would I have ever thought I would have been a part of this. And it's just been such a gift to be a part of something like this. And, and just to live, you know, life is too short. Um, it goes by so quickly. You know, I'm, I'm now 45. And it's, it's sort of like seeing my dad, who's now 82. It's like, wow, it just time just kind of moves. So, you know, just, just enjoy, live, you know, and the Steve Miller band said, time keeps on ticking, ticking, ticking. ticking. <laughs> yeah, these things keep going, you know. <laughs> you, never, you never want to believe that you're, you know, oh, my God, I'm going to be remembered. I'm going to be, you know, I think most people who are remembered are more people who were infamous than they are famous. Mm-hmm. So people who die, who died of overdoses or who have died of being really cruel or mean people, they get remembered throughout history. But, like, the people who actually do – good things, kind things. We're always there for the people they love. 
all those people end up dying eventually and they just that just disappeared you know and i think it's you know again it's just important to kind of live live each day as they are you know well i think lion king said it best they live in you (laughs) (laughs) true they live and die in you no it's good Well, this brings us to the end of um, the Get If You Know You section. Um, you can listen to John Wilson do our two for one, which is the 80s for season five, which will start in September. And our first 80s will be Scanners from 1981 and Videodrome from 1983, where I'll probably be queasy in the <laughs> I can't wait. I'll be fucking for you. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you Thank you. Thanks again, John. Bye. Thank you, guys. Since moment yeah.